Well, I'm very blessed to be able to come today and share with you. I want to tell you, give you a little mission report, and then I'd like to uh, get into the Word of God and hopefully encourage you this morning. And I've, I've already been encouraged and blessed just by the worship. Uh, we will be leaving next Sunday for the Philippines and Burma, Myanmar, and on to Vietnam. We'll be back in August, and uh, we just thank the Lord for open doors and places uh, that men and women that work with us overseas set up our seminars. We, we work with pastors and Christian workers and leaders. In many places, they don't have Bible schools. In some places, they have them, but they can't afford them, or uh, they're just not available. So it's difficult for lots of pastors in Asia to get training in many places. In Burma, they just really have Bible schools, and uh, in, the, in Rangoon and most other places, it's all underground. And Burma is a, a military dictators. And they've started to give a little bit of freedom in, in Myanmar. Um, just a couple years ago, they, they let everyone have cell phones. Uh, if they, before you could buy one, they were, they were around $4,000, so they didn't have too many takers. And basically, only the military generals and their families had phones. But now they've opened it up so people have cell phones. And then they also open up the internet. Before in Burma, when you wanted to have an uh, internet account, uh, the government would give you your uh, password. And so, if you can imagine, uh, it was pretty controlled. You couldn't get outside. They, they censored almost all the websites. But now they've opened that up. And so, uh, there's some good things going on. Uh, in Myanmar. So uh, pray for them. The Christians there have been persecuted for years. Uh, they were so hard on the Karin, they call Kayin, and uh, many, 120,000 of those are in Thailand. We minister to them on the border all the time. But there's also uh, other tribes. They've been, uh, they've been fighting in the last year or so, the uh, Chin and Kachin in Shan State, and uh, they're just horrible. And so most of this never makes the news here, so we don't really know a lot about what's going on, but uh, that's what's happening there. So uh, the church is growing. It's mostly a Buddhist country. And so, uh, as a matter of fact, in the military, you have to be a, a Buddhist to rise above the rank of a, of a major. And so uh, it's the way it is, but uh, God is doing a work. Uh, in Vietnam, we're happy to go back there. We've been working in Vietnam in and out for 17 years. And we love the people. There's 53 cultural minorities in uh, Vietnam. They're seen as non-citizens. The ones in the south are Malay Polynesian language groups. The ones in the north are more Chinese language groups. Uh, just actually a, a little over a year ago, we had our, one of our books officially published in Vietnam. I didn't know if I wanted to have my name on it, uh, but they told me it would be okay. And, uh, and it's our marriage and family. Uh, booklet that we teach. We teach about, uh, from, a, from the Word of God, we teach about how can you improve your communication? Uh, how can you resolve conflict? Maybe you had a conflict this morning. I can remember when I pastored here when we had four little kids, it seemed like every Sunday morning was in between a zoo and a circus at our house, trying to get all four of our kids ready and dressed and clothed and in their right mind and be here early. Was that ever a challenge? And so we talk about problem solving. How can you turn every conflict into a Romans 8.28 and use it for good in your marriage? Now we talk about the biblical mandate of husband and wife and uh, 
mother and father, and we challenge the culture. And I don't pick on Asian culture, I first pick on my own culture, because we have lots of things in our own culture here in America that are not uh, family-friendly. And so uh, it's, a, it's a good time. We talk about budgets and finances. And poor people, they've never heard that word budget because they don't have much money. And then when they get it, it's gone. And so we teach that you don't need more money. You need better management. And it's all from a bi- biblical perspective. Uh, so I don't want to go on here too much because I, I have a lot to say, but I have a limited time. So anyways, we have that published. And so I'll, when I get there, I'll get a whole bunch of these and I'll take them to our, our training. And so um, I'm, and I won't get in trouble. Because it's got a little communist sticker down here that's official Hanoi-approved book. And so uh, that's kind of exciting. We have two print shops, one in the Philippines where we printed over 8 million books, booklets, and tracts. We have another print shop in, in, uh, in India, in Gohati, Assam. And uh, our missionary, Rudy Torres, is from Huntington Beach, and he's married and has a family, and he runs our other print shop. All of our tracts and booklets are given free. And so, because these are people that are poor. And if they get something in their own language about the Lord, they read it, they never throw it away. It becomes so precious and so dear to them. And uh, we also teach evangelism and discipleship. I have that book. I used to leave these out on my table, but then uh, they're for display, but they seem to just kind of walk away. So I'm keeping them up here. Anyways, um, we have evangelism and discipleship. It's not very uh, popular, uh, but it's really biblical. And uh, Christians are the same around the world. They just got the eebie-jeebies about going out and sharing their faith. Uh, even pastors. Some of them have told me, well, I can speak to thousands, but just to speak to one person, that's difficult. And so we see them and where we can do it. We can only do it publicly in a few places, like Thailand we can, Philippines we can. Certain places in Indonesia where there's Christian, Christian communities. And the other places we do it underground. Like in Burma, Indo- uh, some places in Indonesia, in Vietnam. Uh, but we've seen thousands come to the Lord. And uh, we're just so over the years. And we've even seen uh, Muslims and even imams. Uh, we've seen a couple imams come to Christ in the Philippines, which is wonderful. We also teach uh, inductive method of Bible study, and um, uh, which I just love teaching that, showing pastors and Christian workers how they can understand the Bible using a simple uh, method. And um, it's always a blessing to see their eyes light up as they start to discover that they can use this. And it's a tool they can use over and over again. So we're quite blessed and... Um, uh, we're excited about uh, leaving. We're, we thank God for this church. This church has faithfully supported us for many, many years and prayed for us and, uh, since we left in 87, 1987 and bought that one-way ticket to the other side of the world. Never cried and laughed so much in all of our life. And uh, my faithful, loving wife uh, was willing to leave a beautiful home in Lake Forest and, and we had 18 boxes and the four little kids and first time we'd ever been a minority. That was an experience. I could find her in a crowd real easy. And uh, <laughs> the Lord blessed us, and we just thank the Lord. Now I'm the international big shot, our international director, and we have missionaries in five Asian countries, and so we have an office here, our main headquarters in the Philippines. And the Lord has continued to bless us, but we need more workers. 
We don't believe in retirement. We, we believe in recycling. So for you folks that are getting that age, and well, what can I do with it? I, got little, I still got some gas in my tank. Well, come and talk to me. You know, we say uh, for that hard work, you know, construction, 225s are better than a 50. But when you're talking ministering and, uh, you know, and helping, uh, you can be an older person and God can greatly use you. So if that interests you, if you're, it doesn't matter what age, come up and speak to me afterwards. We have a table and I'd love to talk to you uh, about the opportunities. The Philippines is wide open. It's a pro-life nation. Okay, abortion is illegal. Uh, uh, divorce is illegal. And they've asked me repeatedly to open up government events in prayer when I'm there. Uh, in, in every day in public and private schools, they have one hour of character education. And the government encourages the teachers to use the Bible in the classroom during that hour of character education. Isn't that wonderful? Where'd they get all that? They got that from us. Because in, 18, uh, in 1898, we had the, the Spanish-American War. We came into the Philippines. We brought education, infrastructure, hospitals, and missionaries. And, uh, and God blessed. And so that's, that's a lot of their roots. As a Catholic nation, uh, the people are very religious, and uh, they're, they're open to the gospel. And so we would invite you to come. We have a beautiful mission center and uh, rooms for you to stay. We even have double beds for you married folks. And uh, so we wouldn't separate you up. And I'd uh, love to have you. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Isaiah chapter 6. What a beautiful section of Scripture we have before us this morning. That song that we sang and the worship team led us in beautiful worship. And uh, so this morning we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. I saw the Lord. Isaiah had a vision. And it was in the year of King Uzziah's death. It was a critical time for God's people. I believe it's very similar to our time right now. And we can make correlation between Isaiah and Uzziah's death and what happened in Israel to our time as the United States of America and things that are going on not only here but around the world. There's some incredible correlations as we look at this and we think of the last days. And you know, we always have to tell ourselves... The last days is something good for us, not bad. You have to tell yourself next time you look in the mirror, we're the church, we're not going to a funeral, we're going to a wedding. You see, there's something wonderful that's coming soon. Now, if you read the Register or, or the Left Angeles Times, uh, it doesn't have a lot of good news. You know, I have taken the Register and I have quit it and I have taken it and quit it so many times I forgot. But uh, things are changing. And our society seems to be coming apart. And if you focus on that, you'll be miserable. And we don't, we don't want to do that. God doesn't want us to do that. Isaiah even said, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And that's what God wants. You better believe it's getting rotten. I mean, you, know, you don't have to be a brain surgeon to figure that one out. Things are just falling apart. But we have something good to look forward to. And that's the Lord. And Isaiah, he saw the Lord. Things are changing. I would have never believed that there would be homosexual marriage. You know, we say God's an equal opportunity offender. 
So he, he's not happy with uh, practicing homosexuality. He's not, he's not happy with any fornication. So I'm not going to pick on the homosexuals. Same with fornicators. Premarital and extramarital sex. The Bible calls a sin. As simple as that. But things are changing. You know, never in the history of mankind has there ever been homosexual marriage. There has been homosexuality since the very beginning in Genesis, Sodom and Gomorrah. That's nothing new. It's nothing new at all. But marriage between homosexual couples never has been in the history of man. Marijuana becoming legal in several states. I would have never thought that that would happen. And, and you, it just goes on and on and on. Free speech is no longer free. Political correct. If you, I mean, just the political correctness movement has made free speech almost, you're afraid to say anything. Well, would that be offensive? Would that be illegal? Would that be wrong to say that? And you, get, you almost get tongue-tied because you, you don't know what you can say and what you can't say. So things are changing. This was the time of Isaiah and the year of, of King Uzziah's death. Things were changing. Things are changing now. Russia, we thought, was in the Soviet, was going down. Now look, it's coming right back up. I thought, wow, all the prophets are, modern-day prophets are going to have to change some of, the, uh, some of their thinking because Russia was, uh, you know, Soviet Union was dissolved and Russia was going down. Now it's going up. China's going up. United States seems to be going down. So what should we do? What's our response? Should we hide out? Should we, should we go get a bunch of food and stay home? <laughs> you know, should we just come to church and we're safe in here? Well, how should we behave? What should be our response? I think what we need is a fresh vision. And let's keep that in mind as I read Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundation of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on listening and do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the heart of this people uh, insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until cities are devastated without inhabitants, houses 
are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. And the Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Yet there will be a tenth portion in it, and it will again be subject to burning like the terebinth or an oak, those uh, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. So there's going to be devastation, captivity. But there will be a remnant. That stump will still have life, and Israel will live again. Well, what a wonderful section we have this morning before us. We need to see the Lord, and we need to see the Lord today. We need to focus and fix our eyes on Him. He's on His throne. It's a throne of power, the Almighty. And there's nothing we have to fear coming upon this earth. It's very easy to get that way. It's very easy to get fearful when you see what's happening in the world today and what you see what's happening right here in the United States. But yet, I love what David said. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It's a question. Whom shall I fear? No one. Nothing. Why? Because the Lord is my light and my salvation. And as we see this fantastic, beautiful, exalted vision that Isaiah saw, we have that sense in our heart. This is the Lord Almighty. Well... What a vision. I hope in heaven there's an instant replay machine. Because I'd sure like to see this. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, I, I've always, you know how you think what heaven's going to be like. You know, first of all, I like the idea of flying around. Because we'll be like, we'll have a body like Jesus. And I, there's certain things I just like to think, what's it going to be like? And I was thinking, maybe they'll have like a big library somewhere. And, and they'll just have all the, every, everything that happened in Scripture. You can just go in there and, and put it in a machine and see it. I, I don't know, but it probably wouldn't. But I just thought about that. That'd be great. I'd love to see this, <laughs> you know, with a surround sound. <laughs> you know, have the whole place kind of shake, you know. Smoke fill the whole place. Wow. I'd love to see that. And... Uh, so, and this is what he saw. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his train, his robe filled the temple. And these angelic beings, it's in the plural, they covered their eyes. So it was all glory to God, all attention on the Lord, not on themselves. Covered their feet that, you know, are no, kind of the walk around unclean and hands. And they just, and they flew and they just praised, holy, holy, holy to the Lord God Almighty. Beautiful, beautiful vision. And the whole place just shook. And then smoke filled the whole place. Wow. Who did he actually see? Well, the Bible tells us he saw the Lord Jesus. That's exactly what it tells us, a pre-incarnate vision of Christ. And uh, I'll take you to John and read this to you. If you don't know it, you probably already know it, but I'll read it to you anyways. John chapter 12, verse 37. But though he, Jesus, had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him that the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this cause they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, uh, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes, perceive with their heart, and, and be converted, and I will heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. So this is Jesus. 
That's who Isaiah is seeing. He's seeing the Lord, the Messiah. And so, uh, in verse 1, the word Lord in Hebrew is Adonai, or Master. Verses 3 and 5, another word is used in Hebrew. We interpret Jehovah. It's his powerful name. Now, what about us? Today, we need to see Jesus. We need to see the real Jesus. You know, on Father's Day, I remember my daughter bought me a comical Father's Day card. And um, it showed these three fathers, uh, well, three men on the front of the card. And it said, would the real father uh, come forward? You know, it's one of those kind of games they used to have on TV, game shows. Would the real father? And when you open it up, it showed a dad and he opened up his wallet and it was empty. <laughs> and so it's kind of like, that's the real father. And uh, for all you parents and grandparents, uh, you know, the grandkids are so cute sometimes, you just want to throw your purse or your wallet. Here, take it all, you know. And uh, I don't know, are they cuter than the kids? Maybe it just seems that way when you're a grandparent. We got 11 grandkids and five teenagers, so now they're getting big. But uh, they're sure wonderful, and we love them to pieces. Who is the real Jesus? He's the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the Alpha and he's the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Savior of the world. He's the Redeemer of mankind. He's the Lord of Lords. And this is the Jesus that we need to see. Sometimes I think we, we get different things in our mind about Jesus and who he really is. The point is that he's not suffering. The point is that he's not on the cross. That's why we, when we have our, our, our crosses, we don't have crucifix. We don't have Jesus still on the cross. Because he's not on the cross. He's risen from the dead. So we serve a risen Savior. And that's the beauty of our Lord. He's great. He's awesome. He is the Lion of Judah. And I love that imagery. You know, we have mountain lions here. And they can be pretty deadly, can't they? And we've, from accidents we've seen just in a Whiting Ranch and, and out the Ortega, and they're just small compared to a lion. Our mountain lions, 140-pound mountain lion here, is, that's big. How about the lions that they're talking about here? They're, they're three, four times bigger, three, four times more powerful. And this is just imagery. This is just a picture. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that's why with, with uh, the psalmist we can say, whom shall I fear? For the Lord is my light and my salvation. I don't have to be afraid of anything, of anybody, of anything that's going to happen on this earth. And so we need to see the Lord, not just current events, not just the economy and things going the way that they are and our society falling apart and Christianity being uh, almost it seems to be, want to be crushed out. But we need to see the Lord. We need to see the real Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Holy One of Israel. We need to see Him on His throne. He's sitting on the throne when Isaiah saw Him because His work, in, his work is finished. When He said on the cross, it is finished, He meant just that. The work of redemption is finished. And He's, he's seated on the throne. He's provided salvation through His precious blood. It's a throne of glory. It's a throne of authority. It's a throne of, of grace. Glory before which we must worship and bow down. Authority before which we must submit to and obey and yield. 
It's a throne of grace before which we can boldly come and find help in the time of need. We can say, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I I want to follow you and I need your help. Give me that strength today. Fill me with your spirit. We can come and let our request be made known. And that's not all. It's a throne of power. He is the returning king. And we must always keep that in mind when days get darker and darker and our society and uh, life on this planet goes down, down, down. Those things must happen before Jesus can come back. Sometimes I'm afraid we, we kind of think it's a bubble. We just kind of think, you know, as Christians, you know, everything is just going to go great and, and good and everything's going to be comfortable and then whoop, we're going to be raptured. You know, I wish that was true. I don't think it is. When I think about some of our brothers and sisters where we work and serve in Asia, some of them for, for 100 years have been suffering. You know, the, the, the Korean have been suffering ever since World War II. And in and, and China, they've been suffering under communism for, what, 70-some years? Many places in Asia, the, the churches have suffered. And we've, we're kind of like in a little bubble. We have some, and there's, I'm, not, I'm happy. I love my country. But we, we, we have to understand it's just not going to be rosy and everything great, and then, and then the rapture. Wow, wasn't that easy? I think, you know, things are going to get bad. And that's not bad. That's just what's going to happen here. He's still Lord, and he's on his throne. And in the end, it's good for us. And so we need to see the Lord. We need to see the Lord and who he really is, high and lifted up, and his robe filled the temple. Throne of power, difficult times ahead. Then and now, for King Uzziah's death, was, he was writing this when he, saw, when he saw this vision. It was in the year that Uzziah would die. For 52 years, Israel had prosperity under his rule. He wasn't a perfect king, but he, he, he followed the Lord. He, he brought all the enemies around Israel under subjection. He built a, one of the strongest militaries. It was feared by all. It was over 307,000 elite uh, in, in that troop. Imagine that. 307,000 elite soldiers. They all had equipment, and they had special uh, implements of warfare. And he built towers, and he built fields, and and he he dug wells, and, and everything was going very nicely for Israel. And all of a sudden, he died. And everything started to weaken after his death. I wonder what Isaiah was thinking before he saw this vision. I wonder what he was thinking as he knew that uh, this king was going to die. Boy, everything's going to the dogs, he must have been thinking. Israel's going to be taken captive. Uh, prosperity will stop. There's going to be a depression. We'll follow, uh, we'll follow this. Uh, you know, what does he do? He goes to the temple. And what does he discover? That the true king of Israel is on his throne. So whatever happens here, whatever happens in our country... Good or bad, the Lord is on his throne. And we need to see the Lord. We need to see the Lord above all the other things that are happening, above all the news and events and and sad directions that our, our government sometimes takes and society takes. So anti Christian sometimes. 
We just must, we need to remember these are the last days. And it's a win-win for us as believers. It really is. And so, no need to be pessimistic. Uh, it's, it, we, we have, this is a great day to live in when we actually see the events that the Bible talks about. Christ is going to return. The world is going to get worse. And that's the way it is. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. But Jesus is coming back. And so we want to guard our hearts not to get so focused on current events, but rather focus on Christ's return. This is what we need. We need to see our weakness. And my weakness is I just have a little bit of time and a lot to say. We need to see our weakness. As soon as Isaiah saw this beautiful vision of power and glory and majesty, he, he responded appropriately. He said, woe is me, oy vey. You know, I'm unclean. You know, when you compare yourself to somebody, you might think you're, you're pretty good. But when you're standing next to a holy, awesome, eternal God, you just go, wee, and you get very little. And that was Isaiah. And he said, woe is me. I'm undone. I don't have my act together. I, I need forgiveness. I need help. I need mercy. And so this is it. Isaiah confessed after this incredible vision of the Lord. It's very interesting in the previous chapter, Isaiah 5, it's, he is preaching to the people and it's woe to them. That was his message. And it's almost, you need to read that before you read 6, chapter 6. Because in, in the previous chapter, he's woe to them, woe to them. And he just nails the, the uh, compromising uh, children of God. He's woe to them, woe to them. And now he sees God in all of his glory and he says, woe to me. And a powerful message. But as we look back in chapter 5, and uh, you just turn the page... And verse 8, woe to those who add house to house and join field to field until there's no more room. And as we saw in, in the Old Testament repeatedly, God's people would be so involved in their own life, in their own prosperity, in building their own little kingdoms, they would forget the kingdom of God. And so materialism. And then in verse 11, he says, woe to them. They rise up early that they may pursue strong drink. They make a life out of partying. And, and drunkenness. And then in verse 18, he talks about woe to them in their hypocrisy. And then verses 20 and 21 and 22, listen to these woes. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Doesn't that sound like today? Who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Completely changing around. The natural order. Woe to those, in verse 21, who are wise in their own eyes. You know what you get when you cross a skunk with a computer? A stinking know-it-all. <laughs> and that's kind of our society today. They're, they just, you know, they seem to know it all. But they don't know the Lord. And that's the sad thing. Woe to them, he says, because they're wise in their own eyes. In verse 22, Woe to those that are heroes in drinking wine. He goes on and he, and he rebukes them, and, and rightly so. Woe to them in Isaiah's day, and also in our day today. Judgment is coming. 
And that's what the Bible teaches us. It's appointed unto men once to die and after that judgment. And all mankind will stand and give an account to God for what they've done. Everything done in secret will be made known. Judgment is coming. After seeing the Lord, Isaiah said, Woe to me. Whenever you see and experience the presence of God, there's that sense of unworthiness, that sense of need, that sense of forgiveness, that need for forgiveness. Like Job, when he saw the Lord and heard the Lord, he said, I abhor myself. Like Peter, when he saw and heard Jesus in the miracles, he says, Oh Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And when we see the Lord, we, we sense our own personal need. Paul, the apostle, Romans 7, 24, Oh, wretched man that I am, who can redeem me? Who can save me? But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. And so, on that day, we need to see our weakness and we need to see our need for help and we need to see forgiveness. And it starts with a confession, honest to God. And that was Isaiah. He said, Lord, I am unclean. I live among a people of uncleanliness. No boasting, only a cry for help. And you know, the New Testament teaches that very truth in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession. It literally means agreeing with God, telling it like it is. Yes, Lord, I have sinned. Yes, Lord, I have fallen short. God, I've done things you told me not to do, and I've not done things that you've told me to do. So often we think of sins are just things of commission, committing things. But there's also another whole list in the Bible of omitting to do what God has said. Love your neighbor. Love your enemies. Share your faith. There's a whole list of things. And so when we see God in his holiness, we see the need for forgiveness. We need forgiveness. And it's beautiful as we be, we're honest with ourselves, honest to God, no self-righteousness. We come as Isaiah and say, Lord, I am undone. And he experienced God's forgiveness. That's the beauty. When we confess, he forgives. It's the most wonderful thing I believe in the Bible. When we come and say, Lord, Forgive me. You remember the two that were praying? The one man prayed, Lord, I thank you. I fast, I pray. And he gave the whole list of things that he did as a practice. But the other man just didn't even look up. He said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went home justified. So here was Isaiah. And so are we this morning. To us, that live coal that came from the altar, the altar of sacrifice, for us that altar represents the, the, the finished work at Calvary, the work of Jesus. And it's finished. Redemption has been finished and paid for. And we can always want to remember this one thing, that in heaven there's only going to be one thing that's man-made, and that's the, the scars in our Lord's hands and feet. The only thing man made in heaven that will remind us of how much God loves us, that he gave his only son, and to what Jesus did going to the cross. So let me finish up with this. We need to hear his call. The Lord said to Isaiah, Who will go 
And Isaiah was very short. This is the only thing he said to the Lord. He says, here am I, send me. I'll go. There's a work to be done. We're in the last days. God wants heaven to be filled with redeemed sinners. How's that going to happen? It's going to happen when you and I say, here I am, Lord, send me. We could say easily, oh, here I am, Lord, send Pastor Neil. Here I am, Lord, send Pastor Rob. Here I am, Lord, send anybody, but not me. But yet God wants us to just say, here I am, send me. He wants to hear it from your lips. That you're willing to go and share with your neighbors, with your family, your extended family, your co-workers, your classmates, that you would go and share the gospel. That's the, you know, it takes a step of faith, but what a blessing. And remember Acts 1.8, that's why the Holy Spirit was given, not just so we can feel his presence, but that we can have power to be that witness. And so... May we cry out this morning and say, Here I am, Lord, send me. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to speak. I'm willing to share the good news of Jesus. May God help us to be moved to obedience. As the plaque says, there's only one life that will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And there's a couple people I'll be thankful for for millions and millions of years to come. And those are the people that loved me to Jesus. Those are the people that came to my house, made time and took the time to talk to me about the Bible and about a personal relationship with Jesus. I will be thankful for them for millions of years. And it's the same with you. You have neighbors. You have friends. You have relatives that need Jesus. You will become eternally in their heart and mind because you're obedient and you said, here I am, Lord, send me. We're in the last days. There's a great work to be done and God has given us a commission. Go into all the world and share the gospel. Make disciples. May God help us to that end. Shall we stand as we close in prayer? Shall we pray? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. May we see you, Lord. May we focus and fix our mind's eye on you, that we would be that witness. And Lord, first of all, we would see you and say, forgive us. Forgive us for our lack of obedience. Forgive us, Lord, for compromise. Forgive us for those things that we know that are not right. And may you wash us with that precious blood of Christ. Thank you for that, Lord, that as we confess, you're faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. May we go in the boldness of your spirit and may we share the gospel and be a witness in Jesus' name. Amen.